Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. To pass the peace, the hug, to welcome those who are a part of God's covenant family. And we remember that there's so many people who have been redeemed who, who can't gather. And, and we ask God to humble us in a way that we actually count it a blessing. That when we walk in here, when we get that tinge that makes us feel annoyed or socially anxious or whatever, we call us back, hearken us back, Lord, to the fact that this is a privilege. That when I lay my eyes on my brother and sister, I am laying on someone who has the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in them. And that is a blessing. Today I want to talk about another blessing that seems a little bit abnormal inside of Zachariah's Christmas narrative, and that is just the blessing of speech. Everybody say speech. And it's one of those things that we often just take for granted. I was uh, in the car with one of the boys, and or I think we were watching a commercial, and I think there's some kind of... Um, they're, they're doing an invention with the football now that if you are hearing impaired or, or, or something of, it's, it's, I think it's hearing impaired, that, that there's some kind of tech, technology that will be able to allow you to play the game and not necessarily have that be something to be an obstacle for you. And then you're just like, man, I never thought about how hard it would be to play football uh, if I couldn't hear. And then, man, I just realized, man, you know, I take those kind of things for granted. You know, even the first time I was playing at Duquesne, no, 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 we was, I was at Christy Mathis stadium. It was my first career catch. Ah, I forgot to tell you this story, man. I got in the game. They called the play. I knew that thing was coming to me. I lined up Jay Bird. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do what I do. I saw the coverage. It looked right. I said, oh, I'm about to catch this ball. And so one of the things they had been working with me on is, hey, Johnson, get upfield. If I heard that once, I'd have heard it a thousand times. Sam, I didn't heard it, right? Uh, but you know, I got in that game. I said, they don't know who I am. That's the problem. You wouldn't be telling me to get upfield if you knew who I was. Look, got in the game. Boop. Caught the ball. I knew. Boom. Turned around. And it was like the, the devil was on one side and, and, and God was on the other. And I was hearing, turn upfield. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. And then the devil was like, but boy, you got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. <laughs> what I do. Came back inside. Man, that man hit me so hard, I think I lost my breath, my mouthpiece, my chin strap fell off. And then all I could hear is, Johnson, get your... And I can't tell y'all the rest of the things that they were saying. That was my last play that game. And for a couple weeks. But you learn hard lessons that way. But it's a gift, even to have instruction, to be able to hear those words spoken over you. I think I, my tears streamed down. It's like, man... I couldn't imagine a world where I couldn't be a part of the singing of the coming of my Messiah, the feeling, hearing your voices fill me back with the hope of what has come and what will come again. And I think we take speech for granted. The average person, they say, speaks about 16,000 words a day. And they, look, according to my research, which I found astonishing, that females only speak slightly more than males. Well, I, I figured um, that's, that's according to my research here. But that actually every human being probably speaks about 941 words per hour. 
on average during a typical day. Got a lot of words. But what I want to hearken us back to today is how important words and speech are in the economy of God's kingdom. Because of unbelief, we either don't speak or we don't receive the words that are spoken over us. And what we'll see kind of through Zechariah's story is this beautiful interplay between silence and speaking. Um, and how God uses those things metaphorically to paint a picture of what his kingdom is and how it operates. So we'll look at the significance of prophecy according to scripture. We're going to look at the significance of the particular prophet God used to prophesy um, these words. And we're going to look at the significance of the content of this prophecy. So we'll zoom in first. What we see here is, you know, the beautiful Sloan family, they read for us. They came, gave us a little background and bio of Zacharias and Elizabeth's story, the, the mother and father of John the Baptist. And what we have, we fast-forwarded the text that uh, we'll be reading from Luke 1. We'll be reading from 67 to, to uh, 79. So Zechariah's story, the narrative part, is really over, and we're focusing on the prophecy. And it opens up by just saying this in verse 67. John the Baptist, his father Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Everybody say prophesied. Now, if you know about your book, you got 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, and that there's something happens right in between those things. Um, and it's not just that something happened, there's years that have happened. What we believe is 400 years of intertestamental silence. God has not been speaking to his people. And what, as good Bible expositors, we need to pay attention to is kind of like light darkness. It's kind of like um, uh, blind eyes and being able to see. Those are popular threads and motifs throughout scripture. And so is the silent speaking motif. When people speak, who's speaking, when they go silent, how long, who breaks it, what caused it. Those are important motifs throughout scripture. And we have one here for us today. Throughout all of redemption history, God is a uh, God is not kind of, we, he doesn't set the thing and run it like a clock. You know, he just gives it the right gears and direction and he takes his hands off. We have just evidence upon volumes of evidence that the God of the Bible speaks to his people throughout all of redemptive history. That's how he rolls. And one of the primary ways that God speaks to his people is through prophecy. Everybody say prophecy. Now, at this church, we are continualists which means we actually believe in the gift of prophecy, which just simply means that we believe that sometimes people will be spontaneously empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit to say things concerning your life that nobody could have told them except God. How many of y'all have experienced that at this church before? Yes, we believe that, right? It's happened, um, and sometimes, just like any gift, Pastor Tim has the gift of teaching and exhortation, and sometimes he blows it and he makes mistakes. And we believe that some people have the gift of prophecy, and sometimes they'll blow it and they'll make mistakes too. Amen, somebody. Amen, right? But we believe in the gift of prophecy. But what we're talking about today is not the gift of prophecy. What we're talking about today is general prophecy, right? That is the disclosing of the will and purposes of God through inspired or spirit-filled human beings. And this was 
the primary vehicle used in the Old Testament by which God got his word to his people. They didn't go to Lifeway Christian Store. They didn't go to Amazon and get a choose between the NIV, NLT, or the ESV. Or maybe I'm going to read the, uh, what is it, the... Uh, the comprehensive Bible or the message or the chronological Bible. I'm going to try, I want to try the chronological. They didn't have options. They didn't pull up at the store. When they wanted to hear the word from the Lord, they went to the men of God to explain the word of God unless the things had been revealed, right? There was not access. They depended heavily on the prophetic. The prophetic was an essential office in the Old Testament. Either it was foretelling. We believe um, there's really two different types of prophecy. There's foretelling. For, we, we kind of understand foretelling where somebody tells us something about the future that has not been disclosed yet. That's foretelling. Foretelling is also a common tool of biblical prophecy. It's essentially where you kind of unpack something that's already occurred and you kind of are able to provide in, insight into, oh, yeah, you didn't realize, but that happened and that was because, Right? One of the things that the New Testament writers are doing, they usually get into a lot of foretelling. Like, oh, yeah, you saw God do this thing in the wilderness, but what that really was, oh, man, go, it gets really tricky. I think that's 1 Corinthians 10 or, or Romans, oh, I can't remember, where actually Paul is unpacking the striking of the rock. And he actually says, yeah, you thought that was about that, but actually that was Jesus so foretelling unpacks events that have already occurred and brings greater clarity and insight to it, right? And a lot of those things are happening throughout all redemptive history. When we want to think about prophecy and how it works, I would just encourage you, I, every year I get the privilege of teaching the life of Samuel uh, for Downline. He was the last judge, he was a priest, and he was the first prophet of Israel. Um, but his call story in 1 Samuel 3 really helps us understand this silence and speaking motif. In 1 Samuel 3, it starts by saying, this is when Samuel is called, he's kind of with Eli, and he, you know, he's sleeping, and some of y'all have heard this Bible story before, he's sleeping, he hears um, somebody saying, Samuel, and he didn't know what it was, and Eli had to tell him, hey bro, that's God calling you, right? But how the chapter starts off is that Samuel essentially receives the call to be God's prophet when the word of God was rare. It says, when the word of God was rare in those days, God raised up for himself a prophet. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that speaking is important in the economy of God's kingdom. He's got to be speaking to his people. He's always done it. And one of the only things that interrupts it, there are times in all of our lives where we feel them a little closer than we do at other times. But predominantly, there are times in our lives, if we're not hearing him, we got to start evaluating and run some diagnostic because one of the only ways to really get God to stop speaking, start sinning. Sin essentially interrupts communication. God stopped speaking to Israel frequently when his words weren't believed and obeyed. That's his pattern. That's what happened when Samuel was risen up. The word of God was rare. 
People didn't believe his word. They weren't obeying it. That's what happened for 400 years. Why God stopped speaking? People weren't believing his word. They weren't obeying it. Seems to be his pattern. And so when we get to the beginning of Zechariah's song here, the fact that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, pause, and the fact that Zechariah is prophesying, this is evidence that God's presence has now come back to his people. This is major. You ain't even got to read the rest of the psalm to know this is a major movement. God in the Old Testament did not indwell his people. He came upon them. And he came upon them based on assignments or based on the, uh, uh, their readiness or their, uh, the, the appropriateness of the vessel at different times of service. The fact that now he's not been doing that and he's chosen to do that, this is major. This is major. God has chosen now to fill these individuals. He fills Elizabeth. He now fills Zechariah. And now Zechariah prophesies to another time in biblical history where the word of the Lord was rare. Wherever the spirit is, you can just write it down. There's a couple things. We need to do more pneumatology. We just got to do more of it. Because wherever the spirit, first of all, the word and the spirit are the primary agents of this already not yet period. Jesus Christ, y'all know what? God the Father has enacted the plan. And where is Jesus now? He didn't sat down, y'all. When he said it is finished, he meant it. It's over, right? I did my part. I've paid for the sins, past, present, future, of all those who received me by faith. And now I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm making intercession. But who's primarily at work? Which member of the Godhead is it's his show right now? It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit working with the Word in a dynamic relationship to take the Word of God spoken to people to draw them towards repentance. It's the Holy Spirit and the Word. Why is prophecy so important? The prophecy is so important, and we, we pause to really highlight that, especially at Advent. Because in order for God to really get all the glory that is due his name, he has got to receive credit for having known that all of this was going to transpire. Right? Isaiah 46 and 10. This is God's boast. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. You know why prophecy is so important? Why the speaking? Because God needed to be on record. You know, we all got our favorite teams. We got our favorite boxers, and we got our favorite football players, and we love when the guys start to trash talking. And, you know, y'all realize I stopped talking about Dion after about week five. I was like, oh, shoot, Dion, let me just slide back on in here, right? But I was... I was big, I was big Coach Prime early because we love the fact when somebody tell you what they going to do to you and they do it. Yeah. Right? Come on, man. There's a part of Trump country that just loves his braggadociousness. They didn't even like his politics. They was just like, man, that dude's pretty brash and we like that. I wish I could live my life like that. Our God is like that. He is like that. 
He's the only being who actually says it, and it will happen. It must come to pass. And he uses the prophetic word to put it on record. He's not scared of having his name attached to promises. He's not scared of having his name attached to the fact that he will lead you, guide you, protect you, redeem you, and save you. Put my name on it. That check won't bounce. I'm the only one who declares the end from the beginning. That's why Advent time ought to give us hope because we're the only people who know. They said David's son was coming and it happened, y'all. And that thing we build our precious foundation on. Prophecy is the way that God discloses his purposes in intelligible ways to man. I'm not just going to say it in the secret recesses of my heart. I need to say it so they know it. Oh, he really did do it. I need to say it in intelligible ways to man in order that they may know that he alone knows and controls the events of history. Put me on record. Let's talk about the significance of the prophet. We know Zechariah, this first century prophet, first century priest. All we know about him is early on in chapter 1 that he and his wife were faithful. George preached about a little bit of that last week. They were righteous and they were blameless before God. And they meet Gabriel. Gabriel comes into the temple while Zechariah is doing his uh, temple duties. Gabriel interrupts him. You know, how about that? You serve in God, and then God interrupts you. How many of y'all that had that happen to you before? You're like, man, I'm doing all the good work. And God says, yeah, but I'm going to interrupt you. And God's angel comes and interrupts Zechariah and says, hey, man, the thing you've been praying for, I'm about to do for you. How many of y'all been praying so long for something? That you shocked when it gets answered. How many of y'all need to have a check today just to make sure that your prayer life don't become rote and religious? You're just doing it because they told you to do it. And then you forgot that you actually need to be believing for it. Zechariah was shocked that God would actually answer his prayer. So God says, got you. I'm going to stop your speech for the entire term of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Zechariah could not use his speech. I put more stuff in here than I wanted to, but Going back to this idea of prophecy, speech, and words, we know throughout all of the biblical literature that your speech, your tongue is meant to bring life. Paul says in Ephesians and Colossians that actually your words should be seasoned with salt. They should add grace to the hearer. Proverbs 18.21 and James, they start talking about your tongue. Even though it's a little member, it can be so destructive that life and death are in the power of the tongue. So you know what I'm not going to allow you to do, Zechariah? I'm not going to allow your doubting heart to speak my promises. Not right now. Romans 3 says, our mouths are open graves, don't they? Anybody say you either are speaking and pointing people towards precious promises and building them up in the most holy faith, or you're pointing them towards death. And I, I think it's just crazy here. It's like, yeah, man, there's so many things God could have done that would have been appropriate promises for doubting him. But he took the tongue 
I want that thing, and I'm going to render it inoperative. Why? I think because speech and the tongue are so important in the economy of God's kingdom. And if you don't believe it, you can't speak it. And I want people who believe the promises speaking the promises over my people. Tell them that I am faithful, that I do what I say I can do. And in his sovereignty, he takes Zechariah's speech from him. Speech is the way that God discloses his mind and his heart. Tim Keller writes this so beautifully in so many of his sermons, but we would know nothing about God unless God chose to write himself into his own script. And he's chose to do that by the written word of God. And as it's proclaimed to us, that's what our mouths are designed to do. Prophecy is an essential, as we talk, especially in, in, in Advent, about the fulfillment. There is no fulfillment without first a prophecy promised. And it's so important to the fulfillment formula. God must be faithful to his promises. If not, then things are just arbitrary. And that's not a God who's sovereign. Let's look at the significance of the content. So we got this, we got now speech happening over God's people where God had been silent for years. We have God using a man. This is so merciful. This is so sweet. How about the mercy of God? That God would even use the gentleman who's doubted him and would allow him now to speak forth. So as the story would go on. They do have the son. And as the son is, is getting ready to be presented and named, then right then at that moment, God had told Zechariah what John's name was to be. And Zechariah opened up his mouth. He said, oh, his name is John. And he began to open up his mouth. And, and, and just the beautiful redemption story of just how God works. I don't know who you are today. I just want to let you know you're not beyond mercy. It really doesn't matter how many times you've disobeyed. We just serve a God who delights in showing mercy. What's your excuse for not turning back to him? This dude who doubted God, God allowed him to write one of the most beautiful prose and prophecies about his coming in all of recorded scripture. They call it the Benedictus. It's one of these three what they call canticles. And you get them really quick in uh, Luke. You get Mary in the Magnificat, you get Simeon's account, and you get Zechariah. And the Benedictus, it's just Latin for blessed be, right, praise be. So there are these praises, and they're very similar, or they use the same language as what we would find in the Psalms. And so there's praises that are being exhorted. Why? Let's just briefly remind ourselves of why Zechariah is praising God. Zechariah is not like y'all at your little crazy little gender reveal parties where y'all burn your house up and all that. This is not what's happening, okay? Zechariah is not rejoicing because he got a son. He's rejoicing. His son going to get two verses in this little deal. Guess, who, guess, guess which son going to get the other 12 verses? Jesus. He's rejoicing because this son is going to prepare the way for the Son of God. 
Let me give you one, two, three, four, four keys about the good news that we just want to remind ourselves of. We want to remind ourselves that Zechariah's prophecy brought news of the regime change, right? That there's a new king, a new power. We talked about that in Romans 1, right? Uh, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. That's verses 69. That David's long-awaited descendant has now been born, and he will be the king of the world. There's redemption and forgiveness. Um, um, verses 68. We start to see this idea, praise be to the Lord of God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them, right? Inside of the gospel, there's the big announcement that Jesus is king, but there's the promise, both corporately and individually, of radical redemption and forgiveness for both individuals and whole bodies of people. You see that, verse 71, verse 72, verse 77, these ideas of mercy, that there are promises kept is a big part of the gospel, that the gospel is not just good news that just happened out of nowhere. Oh, man, did y'all know all of a sudden Fred Smith gave a big old million dollars to, okay, you know, some of us are like, man, that's really cool. And then others are like, oh, man, they've been in conversations about that a long time ago, right? When you think about the gospel, you cannot divorce it from the Israelite good news, you cannot just personalize your gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? That just shows a little bit of biblical illiteracy. We got to get you in the discipleship. If all you talk about is, man, Lord, I'm telling you what God did for me, for me, for me, for me, for me, for me, for me. It's like, wait a minute. Did you realize God's doing a whole big old thing? Like a big old thing that he's been doing for millennia, right? And the big idea is that God has kept his promise. Look at verse 70 you some time. He says, as he said, through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, so on and so forth. When we see the gospel, we cannot divorce it from the promises that he's kept to our forefathers. God's original promise to Abraham in Genesis 22, that through his offspring, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is what he has in mind. I don't know who you are today, but let me remind you that a big part of the Advent story is that God remembers He remembers that there were a, a group of people who waited and waited and waited. And if you're in a season where you're waiting right now, let me just encourage you, you are not alone. You stand in solidarity with all of redemptive history as we're just a waiting people, but we're not a forsaken people, and we're a people who have never missed out on not one of God's promises because he who has promised is faithful. That's his big boast. I do what I said I would do. All of us this Christmas, you know, Gina, we talked yesterday. I was like, babe, you want me to... You want me to go ahead and um, buy you that new car? 
with the Louis Vuitton interior. <laughs> and she was like, baby, you don't have to get it this year. I was like, okay, baby, but you know, I got you. You know what I'm saying? I got you. Got you. <laughs> you know what? Usually go like, you want to do gifts this year? Uh, uh, that's all right. Don't worry about it. And uh, but every once in a while, she's better at this than I am. I'll mention something in passing. Like man, something like June. Man, I really wanna, I really want new cleats. I know I'm 41 years old, but I still got eligibility. You know what I'm saying? Baby, if you give me some new cleats. You know, every once in a while, we get to, to Christmas, and she'd be like, I know we said we weren't doing anything. And then I'm like, oh, man, I feel that guilt and shame. Like, I really, that's, I took that to the bank. I didn't get you nothing. <laughs> Oops, you know? And then she come out with the box, and she's like, hey, baby, hear those cleats. I said to The thing that I even forgot I mentioned to you. Can I just encourage your prayer life? Stay faithful. You might even forgot about what's on your request list, but he hasn't. Because he's good like that. You have a good father. And if you ask him for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a stone. He remembers and he's faithful. I love verse 74 and 75. Say it. This one will rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And this little one now. He will enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I don't want you to lose sight of the, the Spirit's work here. Because part of the covenant of grace is the new efficacy and the empowerment that the Spirit brings. That we don't have to keep offering sacrifices for sin. And nor do we have to conjure up our own energy to serve him. Because the Spirit lives in us, drawing us. It's him who works in us both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. How we close this? We land it like this. This whole thing ends. You got God who, who starts speaking to his people again. And he's using even vessels who started to doubt whether or not it would actually ever happen. He uses those dudes. And then he uses that dude to speak this beautiful prophetic word. And then he gives him this beautiful lineage. Verses 76 and 77, Zechariah now switched and starts prophesying about his child. He says, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death. I love, you know, these are real writers, like the people who wrote the Bible. I told you all that before. Like, they don't sit there. Like, the, the inspiration of Scripture wasn't them sitting there and be like, <laughs> that, that's not what that was. As a matter of fact, one of the, I think one of the things that The Chosen does really well is they follow Matthew. 
And you get to see, like, are you going to include that? Can I, get, can I get you on record? Like, you get to see the inscripturation process, which is probably more closely what, to what we think it was. I love this story. How God shuts the mouth of Zechariah. But in his seed, the one who will prophetically prepare the way for our God. Just the mercy and the tender kindness of our God. He calls John the prophet of the Most High. Distinguished. As we reflect on Advent, you cannot have a proper Advent without proclamation and reminding ourselves about the words that have been promised to us from long ago. There's always two things that precede the fulfillment of the prophecies in the Bible. The promise got to be spoken, and it's continued to be shared by believing recipients. One of the things that we say as a denomination inside of our confessional material and, and, and things of that nature is we believe in the ordinary means of God's grace. The God, you, God can do a whole bunch of different things. He's not restricted. But he, he usually works in certain ways. And one of those ways is through his word. And I was, even this week, I was in a devotion, and I was reading Romans 10. And it was just so simple and practical. He's like, hey, man, the good news got to be shared. Well, how are people going to hear that good news unless someone speaks it? If you have no intention of sharing the words and continuing the prophetic legacy that has continued throughout all redemptive history, are you really enjoying Advent? We got hope. People need to hear it. How else will they hear that their burdens can be lifted? How else can they hear that they don't have to walk in darkness? How can they hear that one has redeemed them and forgiven them from sin? How will they hear it? Someone's got to share it. Someone's got to speak it. My buddy in the hospital, he was laid up couple years ago and he told me he was like man PT man this is really humbling experience he said man but you know what I'd rather be laid up in this hospital unable to move than to use my limbs to run to what I was running to I think it's the same idea. It's literally like if your hand causes you sin, cut it off. Like, you know, that. not literally, that's figurative. But the idea is like, man, these instruments are for the glory of God. And if, if anything is inhibiting me from demonstrating and proclaiming the glory of God, I, I'm going to eliminate that because I know what I've been designed to do. People of God, do you remember what you were redeemed for? Do you remember what your mouth was washed for? Do not take for granted the gift and the responsibility of your speech. Will you use your tongue to declare the unsearchable riches of our Christ? 
Would you, will you use your speech this Advent season to share the glorious riches of the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory? Will your mouth proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? That's our charge today. Would you join us as we sing our last worship song?